Hi, this is Tony Silva in Osaka. Charles Wiz in Hyogo. Part of Osaka? I don't know. No, not a part of Osaka. Hyogo. You're right. This is uh, episode 20 of uh, Two Teachers Talking. Number 20 is kind of an anniversary. And uh, Charles and I, again, getting together, talking about teaching. And uh, today, uh, the uh, topic is syllabus, syllabi. Charles, <laughs> what, what are we talking about? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, 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 they're both kind of inelegant, I mm. think. Syllabi, syllabuses always doesn't. And I think I use syllabi. What yeah, you, the, the Latin, Latinate plurals are always a little bit goofy, but uh, I, use, uh, I use syllabi. And okay. certainly, always, certainly always when I'm writing. And almost always when I'm speaking, uh, unless I'm talking with uh, someone who's got control over my employment and they're using syllabuses, I'll, I'll snap the syllabuses pretty fast. But left on my own, I'm, I'm pretty much a syllabi guy. I think one of my dictionaries actually will mark syllabi is wrong and syllabuses will, will be unmarked, you know, for in the um, spelling, spell check. Uh-huh. So, but I always – I think syllabi – Less breath, less sounds. It's shorter. And, yeah, whether it's a common stroke. usage or not, I think it, it is the the one that is technically correct. Well, octopus, octopus octopi, hippopotamus, hippopotami, lotus, lodi. No, that's not. It doesn't work. I don't think lotus is a. Is a <laughs> you don't a think it's Latin? Latin. Huh? No, <laughs> no. I think it's also an issue of Greek and Latin, isn't it? Greek, Greek roots. With plural form. And so anyone out there who's really into this stuff, make a comment. <laughs> yeah, you can still, I'm not going there. You can there. correct us. I'm not going there. So anyway, so, okay, so today we're talking about syllabi, the syllabus. Right. And this follows on our last topic, which was grades. So gra- grades. So we're kind of talking about the almost bureaucratic side of teaching, the non-teaching side in a certain way where we're filling out forms and writing things in an official kind of way. Yeah, and this might actually have been a really good follow-up or be a little bit closer to the hypocritical episode, perhaps. Well, I think anything we talk about would be a good follow-up <laughs> to the hypocritical. Everything so. should be prefaced with the hypocritical episode. It does come up, doesn't it? Mm. And it really comes up, I think, when we're writing a syllabus. Mm. Well, the, the whole notion of it, right? And I guess maybe up front and just kind of get the idea that we're really talking about two different things. Because, um, um, I don't know, I I used to think it was just me, and I usually, I think it's Fitzgerald that's usually uh, credited with the statement that um, first-rate intelligence, <clears throat> the ability to hold two contradictory thoughts in your mind at the same time. Okay. Or maybe, or maybe it was Orwell's doublethink. I always think about Einstein who said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And then I think about all the times I copy my syllabus and pasted it for the following year. And then I'm like, why did nothing change this year? But okay. Well, that's because you're trying to follow the syllabus. Ah. <laughs> I, I attribute it maybe just to cognitive dissonance. I'm not sure. But anyway, um, yeah, because at least for me um, – you know, when I'm asked to do a syllabus, uh, I I create a document and meet that meets the needs and specs of the institution that's asking about it. Um, I leave it as vague as possible to plausibly describe, or at least not contradict, what I might do or be doing in the classroom. 
And then I submit that and I don't think about it again. Um, and I go about planning my class based on my thoughts, um, the needs of the students, uh, the, the specific class, the purpose of the class, uh, what tools I might, tools, time, facilities, tools, ability, <laughs> the tools I might have available and so forth. So for me, it's really two really very different things. Mm. Yeah, I think we have to definitely address that, that there's two aspects to the syllabus. There's the one we submit Mm. As, and as you say, that meets the specs and the needs of the school. And I kind of, when I write that, I always think that I, there should be something called ostensible markup language, which is <laughs> what I'm doing, I think, often with the syllabus because of uh, very things we'll talk about in a little while. Yeah, and, and who doesn't just cut and paste their, their stuff from last year? Well, there's a lot of people do. I think um, if I have a new class that I haven't taught before. No, well, then, yeah. Well, you right. have nothing to cut and paste from. That's part of the problem, isn't it? <laughs> but often there's this cutting and pasting. And I know for a fact that uh, I'll always start the class first day and I will say, okay, how many of you have read the syllabus? Because well, it's posted. And yeah, well, yeah. I think I was shocked last semester where one student out of like seven classes had read the syllabus. So let's just talk about the fact that, okay, one aspect of the syllabus really is is the the what I guess for lack of a better word is the facade of a syllabus that this thing that yeah. has to be submitted because at your schools is there any relationship between um that what you post on the the official school document the syllabus has to be followed or is there any mechanism or rule or anything that says you I'm totally unaware of any I like again I, I'm not sure that the I don't know that the students read it well I'm pretty sure the students don't read it um I think Possibly if you're a new teacher or, as you said, if it's a new course, uh, the uh, the coordinator, the director might look at it just to kind of see what you're up to. Um, but I don't – I've never been asked about. I've never been confronted about anything that was in the syllabus that had to change anything. Um, I do have one interesting story. I, I, I believe it's true. It, it may be. Wait. You have an interesting story, and, but an you believe story. it's true? And, well, it's, just, it's one of those things, right? It's a, is it, what is it? A, is it urban? Is it a legend? It's oh, it's a story around. you heard. It's a story. It's a story that I heard. Oh, I thought you and, were saying um, that it was a story, one of your stories. No, no, no. no <laughs> You're no. not sure if it's, it's true. It's a story I heard, and okay. I'm not sure that it's true, but I'm pretty, I believe it because uh, this guy was capable of it. Of course, no names, uh, but he was um, a full-time teacher. And for years, uh, he would submit his syllabi, and what he submitted was total crap. Uh, it was something, and I remember some of it was something. It was something like um, applying modern frameworks and lingu linguistic obfuscation will create student experience designed to simulate real learning use, <laughs> using proven ineffective pedagogical techniques. It was that bad. And it was uh, the language went on to say that in my class, we're not going to do anything. He actually wrote that. Yes. Year after, and he submitted it year after year after year. I think when I heard the story, it was going on its fifth year. Wow. Okay. And this was published in the school's documents. Right. So I think we can be fairly certain that few people read <laughs> the syllabus that we submit. Okay. So there's the official syllabus that goes into the school mm. catalog. And different schools have different systems. Sometimes a general description is acceptable. Other schools want a week-by-week -week, uh, system. Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, they, they're, they're very all over the place. Okay, but let's kind of 
okay, assume that most of the people who are listening understand this problem and relate to it. What about the real syllabus? The one so that what we, we actually, like our actual our actual class yeah, plan. Let's go away from okay. just what we submit to Good. the school, yeah. and we we say that there's a lot of flexibility, and that most of the time that I think the syllabus is submitted um, is you know to meet a requirement, right? A bureaucratic requirement. You, I think, you've often mentioned that in many of your classes you use a negotiated syllabus. Okay. Yeah. Okay. How is do that, you and go about that? I'm always curious. Yeah, so I just want to maybe uh, sum up what we've you know just covered, especially maybe for like the newer teacher, okay, who maybe like really kind of um, anxious about this. Yeah, you, you're going to be asked to submit a syllabus. Um, don't feel tied to it. I mean, do you know submit with the best that you can. Make you know, of course, no grammar mistakes. Check the spelling, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Make it sound plausible. Leave it. Leave yourself enough room as possible. Leave it as vague as you as is possible. Like said, some schools want a week by week plan. You can leave yourself as much squish room as possible in that, just in the event, so you don't get caught later on. But just because you put it on your syllabus, don't feel that that has somehow become the Bible, and you need to use that as you know for your class plan each week. Um, you're going to have to adjust. You're going to have to tweak it, and we'll talk a little bit about that later on. But um, yeah, don't go don't go crazy, but um, you know, build in as much squish for yourself as you can. And then later on, when you need to change it midstream, you do it. All right. And so, yeah, so one of these cases, right? So uh, Charles is asking about the negotiated syllabus. Yeah, I submit something in as vague as I can, you know, which, which seems acceptable for the, the institution, the, the coordinator, uh, the specific class that's involved. Um, and the reason I do that is because I know that what I'm going to do is going to change. Because uh, a lot of those decisions, um, I don't make on my own. I, I make those together with the class that's involved, uh, depending on the class, depending on the university, to greater or lesser degrees. But um, I give the students, or I try to give the students, as uh, much control as possible over things like um, will they have tests? Will they be written tests? Will they be oral tests? Um, will, how many will there be? Will there be one big one? Will there be the two, a midterm and a final? Do they prefer a series of smaller tests? Will, do they want to, again, depending on the class, the type of class that it is, uh, written papers? Uh, will, will there be homework? How will the, will the homework be graded? Will it be a pat, you know, do or not do situation? Uh, participation? They want participation as part of their grade, attendance as part of their grade. Do they are they interested in doing um, some other kind of t to later to be defined project, um, whether it's a, something performance in class, something written, maybe a web page, uh, a Skype project, I mean whatever it might be. Um, exactly what the work is that they're going to do for their grade. What work are they going to do in this semester uh, to help them learn? Uh, then we'll also talk about the specific tasks that they might have to do. For example, the project, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Um, I've got a reading and writing class. Okay. For you guys, how much of this do you want to be reading? How much do you want to be writing? Where do you want the balance? Do you want it to be, uh, you're interested in business writing, academic writing, or creative writing? Um, reading, what kind of material do you want me to provide for you guys? You're interested more in news type things, you're interested in more academic reading, 
Uh, you want something that's you want more fiction. Uh, those kinds of questions. Um, then there's other times where, for example, I have you know conversation classes uh, that are topics based. And uh, I'll give the students as much control as possible over the topics that we choose. And it might be something as simple as, for example, with one of the textbooks, I have um, a textbook with um, 30 topics in the textbook. Well, we've got 30 weeks in the year. We're not going to cover 30. We've got time for realistically probably for 20. And I let the class themselves go, you know, I'll explain the, the units and they will choose which of those 30 units, which 20 of those 30 that they're going to do. So, None of that can be put in the syllabus because that's not decided until after the semester begins. Mm. That was my question. There you go. There's And there was an answer. <laughs> the negotiated syllabus. So the students are deciding. And uh, how, how, what percentage? I mean, how many of your classes out of all the classes you teach do you use a negotiated syllabus? And oh. also my question, Tony, is <clears throat> how do you decide which classes to use a negotiated syllabus? Uh, yeah. I use it to one degree and another, almost all. Uh, they all have some control. Could you describe um, that a little bit? I mean, how, what are the variations or how? Uh, for how example, it, 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 and, and I'll answer the two questions at the same time, how do I decide? I think it's, it depends. I'll look at the class on the first day and make a, a snap judgment on their uh, wonder ability because the more the students know, not only English ability, but also general intelligence. The more that they know, the more capable they are of making good choices. So I'll let them make more. Mm. Um, a lot depends on the, the, the institution, you know, the, the level of student there, why they're going to school, what the, are they majors or non-majors. A lot of that enters into it, but all that gets wrapped into a snap judgment. It's like, okay, how much control can I trust these kids with? And I try to give them as, as much as possible. Uh, at one end, it might be just something like, um, do, you, do you want a big test, one big test? Do you want a midterm and a final? Do you want small tests? It might be that, especially if, you, if I have a class where the topic is very specific. They're there for one thing. So, for example, it's an academic writing class, uh, which I had. And it was uh, there for third-year students. And they had to learn how to write a research paper for their senior thesis. Now, in a class like that, there's not much squish. You know, we've got a very specific job to do, and they need to learn, you know, the stru structure of, um, of a longer essay, uh, citation procedures, uh, and so forth, and, and research methodology, all those kinds of things. There's not a lot of choice there. Um, you know, it says, well, how much do you want me to, for example, for their final big paper, do you want me to grade the paper at you know, task at certain stages? Do you want, and I don't advise this, let me just give you one big grade at the end for the paper. Um, what other things would you want me to consider for the grade? Right. So that's a pretty structured class, and there's not much that um, the, you can you can frig with. You've got to teach these kids because it comes to their next year. If they can't do that paper, the first question that the teacher's going to go, who was your teacher last year? You don't want that. You don't want your name coming up in a negative as, you know, aspect <laughs> too often. I don't want my name situation. coming up at all. That's all. <laughs> but, but sometimes. But on the other hand, I have had, for example, um, a student come back to me and says, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm you know, writing my paper." And I said, "Oh, what's it about?" It's like, "Oh, my teacher." Today. Oh, they asked me who my teacher was, and I go, oh, 
He says, oh, no, because your papers are so well organized. I go, ah. Uh, <laughs> a sigh of relief. <sighs> yes. So, and uh, at the other end, um, you have a lot of times a, you know, just a, something called English communication. And you have a textbook which is minimal, you know, for example, minimal, which I have. This is a real situation. Um, the, the textbook that the school assigned, yeah, pretty easy for the kids. We, there's no problem covering the content of the textbook in about half the class each week. Um, so there you've got all kinds of opportunity uh, to introduce other things and to let the students choose what's interesting for them. You know, do they want to do performances in class? Do they want to make a video? Um, you, you've, that's, a, that's a golden opportunity. And the, my opinion is the more um, involved the students are in those decisions, the more involved uh, they'll be in the actual activity itself. Okay. So you give them a lot of choice in terms of how they're going to be graded and maybe what kinds of um, measures or the performance aspect. Right. How and about, which tests they'll do and okay. the content of things. How yeah. about percentage for grading, for example? But um, that just reminds me that we should go back and say that usually the components of the syllabus are is the, the this course schedule, class schedule, as well as goals and grading. Mm-hmm. So – do you allow the students to choose the order of how things are going to be presented or what topics um, in addition to that? But that's also, I guess, it depends on the class. That's, depends on the class. And yeah, the snap topic judgment space, you're making. Yeah. Okay. In the topic-based conversation class, yeah, they've got pretty much full control over which of those topics um, they'll talk about. And uh, to a certain extent, the, the balance of the, the grading as well. But interesting observation over the years um, – when it comes to that balance in terms of, you know, whatever it's a participation project, exam or paper, whatever it might be, there's not a whole lot of difference. There's not a whole lot of variation. Hmm. Um, there's no, you know, the kid who does a good project pretty much is going to do a paper or present well and is going to participate well. There's occasionally you get something that is very different. For example, in the speaking classes, we've talked very often about the reticent student who doesn't talk much. And sometimes you'll get a student who, really is shy, really doesn't in class come off as very active and, and participatory, but can someone then do a, a phenomenal project? Mm. So, so yeah. the last time that happened to me, sorry, uh, was, um, it was a, sorry, it was a returning, uh, a repeating student. So she was uh, a year older, uh, a different class than the rest of the kids in the class, which if you're not in Japan, you don't think, well, so what? You know, in Japan, it's a big thing that group identity. So she's already kind of an outcast. It makes it a little bit harder for her to participate in discussion conversation at the same level with the other kids in the class because she's not only she's outside, but she's senpai. She's a higher status. So it kind of makes ordinary conversation a little bit difficult. So she didn't talk a lot in class, but at the end of class, did this phenomenal webpage uh, uh, on, uh, you know, tourist attractions in Osaka, which is just blew my mind. But that's that that was like three, four years ago. Mm. So it's it's kind of rare where you see that big of a difference. I, I see it anyway. So that's, that raises an interesting question is that one of the – well, we'll preface to that. The advantages of the negotiated syllabus is it allows the course to be tailored to the student's needs. And yes. provides opportunities for students to maybe present or 
um, give a demonstration of their abilities in a way maybe that I as a teacher wouldn't have come up with or presented as an option to them. But then again, there's a problem with the, the reticent shy student is probably not going to submit anything or talk when you're discussing the negotiated syllabus. And I'm assuming that that's a discussion in they class, have, right? Yes, yes. So in a sense, that's one of the reasons I always kind of look at that and think, ah, you know, maybe I need to come up with a different way to get this syllabus, this negotiated syllabus, because the shy kid's not going to talk. Uh-huh, and uh-huh, the more point. extroverted kids are basically going to create a syllabus that is to their liking. So how do you handle that? I'm just wondering. How I don't. Do you, okay. I, <laughs> <laughs> this episode is not hypocritical. Yeah. <laughs> not, I'm not God. The system is not perfect. I'm doing the best I can. Um, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I don't. I, I, I can't account for all the variables and um, I, being a little flippant saying I don't. But yeah, I mean, you want, you're, I let them discuss it you know, amongst themselves. I will walk around. I'll look for people who are, you know, totally disengaged try and say pull them out say well what do you think um how about this how about that and see what the reason for it is is it for example in this case where the student was a second year student and everybody else was a first year student is it a personality thing um is is the person sick i i'll, I'll try and determine that i mean to within reasonable okay. extent but i don't have anything built into the system to uh safeguard against the uh, shy, the shy student getting railroaded okay. you know, under, and, under the thumb of the tyra- tyrannical majority. And I just want to mark that for a second, Tony, because it's not so much for an experienced teacher, but for people starting out, you're going to have to deal with those kinds of decisions, those mm-hmm. calls, and be comfortable with them because mm. you know nobody's perfect and we can't account for every possible situation. So if you make a call, you know, do the negotiated syllabus, then you have to take a look and assume that some people are not going to participate because of the way that the discussion is set up. Okay, so the negotiated syllabus, that's how you do it. I've done it a few times. I've really moved away from it uh, in the past. So should we move on to the regular syllabus? Regular being? In the sense that it's not negotiated, the syllabus that okay, the top-down. Okay. Let's go to the top-down syllabus. So we're sitting down, we got a class coming up, and we're going to say, okay, what, what am I going to do with this? Yeah, thing? and that's where I want to start, which is okay. to ask you, how do you go about making the syllabus? Because I talk to different kinds of teachers, or different kinds of teachers and different teachers. And people, it's just it's an amazingly disparate and strange and eclectic way that people make a syllabus. Some people start with goals. Some people start with the level of the class. Some people do uh, a literature review, actually, of other kinds of syllabus. What do you do to when you're designing a syllabus? Let's say it's for a writing class where there's a specific goal that you've been entrusted to teach to the students. Okay, so yeah, well, that, that kind of answers the first question, but the first thing you kind of sit down and figure out is, okay, what is it that um, I want the students to learn. You know, is there, for example, in some case you have a very specific goal, like this advanced writing class that I talked about before. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, increasing their fluency in English. Okay, uh, when it's vague like that, you've got to kind of make some kind of decision. Okay, for and you, at this point, you're making a, a guess. It's like the, the school that you're at, uh, the level that the, they're supposed to be, and things. Say, like, okay, make some realistic goals about. What you want them to learn? You know, what do you think is important? What do you think is appropriate? What do you think is doable? Okay, and you set up some 
some basic goals. And if it's you've got something specific, for example, like this writing class, then you then you, you're halfway there, and you can fine tune it. You can make it more specific. Um, make sure that you cover things like plagiarism, you know, the writing class, plagiarism, um, citation. Do you, do you teach just one style? Do you the one that the that particular school uses? How much time do you spend, you know, making them aware of the other styles? You know, whether it's um, Chicago or ML, MLA, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and that's I think that's where you start. It's like, so what at the end? What do you, is it that you want them to take away? Okay, then you got to figure out how you're going to get there. Uh, then you kind of think about before you, that middle part. You leave it kind of last. Start the very beginning. Okay, who are my students? Who are they really? I mean, you have some information from the school in terms of uh, their background, their level, what what they should be bringing to the class may or may not be accurate. It's another advantage of waiting till the first day of class because, like, okay, who are these kids? And there's a lot of variation, too. Um, even within at one school, uh, kids that are supposed to be ostensibly the same on paper, they can be a really big difference from, from section to section. But to the best that you can, ability that you can, figure out who the students are. You know, first-year students or third-year students, are they majors, are they not majors? What school is this? You know, what's the, the standard average student at this particular institution? Um, then, again, hard question to answer at, at this point, because the semester hasn't begun yet. Um, what did the students want to learn? Uh, which may or may not be the same thing. And you have an idea of what you think is important Um for example, in terms of if it's a general writing class, you might have one class that's very, very interested in business writing, another class that, you know, very, very interested in creative writing. Um, to the extent that you can, without having met them, try and figure out or maybe allow for um, variations in what they might want to learn. Um, they're trying to think about motivation, what might motivate these students. And again, it's hard without having met them, but if... For example, you're teaching at a women's university, uh, Joshi Dai, where uh, in a in a rich suburb, uh, you can make certain assumptions about your class. Um, if you're teaching at a university that focuses more on technical aspect and uh, com- computer design, those types of things, you can assume that the vast majority of your students are going to be male. Their interests are going to be quite different. Um, they're going to be motivated by different things. And is, again, to the best that you can, try and figure out what their motivation is. Try and think of, start thinking about tasks that will tap into that motivation that will make more likely for them to uh, do a good job and to succeed. Again, depending on the school uh, where you're teaching uh, and your own situation, you know, what are the, I talked before about the tools. What tools have you got for this particular class, whether it's, you know, is it a presentation class? Is it a writing class? Is it a general communication class? Um, what have I done before? What do I know that works? What uh, what textbook have I got or st- have I got to choose from? And that's if I haven't made the choice yet. What kind of supplementary materials do I have in my, in my uh, cabinet here at home, online? What's available? What can I, what do I, what can I bring? Um, what can the school give me? You know, do, do I know what kind of classroom I've got? Do I have access to a language lab? So, for example, I have um, pronunciation classes and listening classes. However, at this school, I don't have access to the language lab. 
Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> glad, glad I knew that before I made my syllabus. But um, things like that. Do I have that? If you have a pronunciation class, okay, what kind of technical things do I have or I don't have? And uh, how does that change the way that I'm going to plan what I do in class? What about the time? You know, thinking about um, the tasks that I, I have in mind for the students or I'm, I think is possibility for them. Do I have time to look at, you know, 20 classes of homework every week? Or if I'm going to have them do short papers every two weeks or something like that. Realistically, is that is that something that I'm going to be able to manage? Um, or do I need to, like, think about that or find another way to have that work evaluated and design the course accordingly? Um, and very similarly, um, not in terms of, like, my own time and, and management, but... Looking again to those um, objectives that we started off with, again, getting to there, okay, what tasks, what activities, what things can these students do, what can they look at, what they can read, what can they talk about, what, et cetera, et cetera, that are going to bring those results, that are getting closer to those goals that we, that we set for at the very beginning. So if I want them to do A, B, and C, what kind of steps, what kind of tasks, what kind of things are they going to do that's going to help them get to that point? And then I guess finally, I think about how you're going to evaluate that success. I mean, how do you judge? Did they do it? Did they not do it? How well of a job did they do? What are the things that I'm going to look for uh, in terms? And then make sure that if I'm going to be judging them on those things, make sure that I've done an adequate job of teaching those things or giving the giving them the opportunity to have learned those specific things along the way. So that's what I do. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting problem. I always find that it makes more sense to, after assessing the school and the level of the class and the expected level of the students, I start from the end and try oh, to cool. figure out you know, where do I want them to be at the end of the semester, and then I work backwards. Uh huh. And that was one of the real secrets or one of those great discoveries I made is work backwards rather than forwards. Mm. I used to start off with, okay, this will be the opening class. This will be the first day class and I'll accomplish this and this, and this will march me towards the goal. Instead of saying, okay, I'm going to have a final presentations on the last day of class and what do students need to do before they do their final presentations. And I'll think, okay, then they have to, you know, present an outline and okay. So if before they present an outline, what do they have to do? Then they have to make show that, you know, these are their sources. These are their research sources. And I find it's a lot easier to work backwards, but I, I think that you've articulated it pretty well how to do the syllabus. So I want to kind of shift the discussion a little bit, Tony, what happens in the situation where you make a syllabus and about four weeks into the class, you realize it's just not going to work. What do you well, do think, in that situation? Well, you got you know, obviously, bail. I, I said before, <laughs> yeah, bail. Um, yeah, you 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 have to understand that you can't just continue as if everything is okay. Um, you need to make some adjustments. You need to make some changes, and uh, yeah, you really have to take a good hard look as as to the reasons why it's not working, and that's going to determine what you do, right? But um, and a lot of times that's not really easy to see. Um, you know, in some cases, yeah. Okay. This, this textbook is not working or, um, these kids are, are duds. You, you want to think, right. But maybe not, maybe 
you're not a- approaching them the right. We talked about what the student's motivation. Maybe you're just missing the target. Um, you're not presenting things in a way that allows them to latch onto it or to open up to it or to make it even appealing enough for them to open up their ears um, when you when you're talking to them and things. So well, what's going wrong? I mean, you have to figure out what's going wrong. And uh, depending on what's going wrong, uh, you either change the way that you're doing things or um, you end up changing the goal. Uh, you might have to adjust that. It's like, okay, we're not going to get there. Um, it, this, uh, this advanced writing class that I'm talking about, I, I've been teaching it for a long time. I don't teach it right now anymore. I think last year was the last year that I taught it, but I taught it for about 10 years. And I remember the first year, it's a situation that almost, except it wasn't four weeks, it was about two weeks in. Um, And yeah, I was told that, yeah, these are third year students and uh, they have to, you know, learn how to write a uh, formal academic paper uh, for their senior thesis and so on. And um, uh, first couple of weeks of class, I go in there and uh, half, half the kids can't write a sentence. So, <laughs> so okay, so you end up, what I ended up doing then is then, okay, so then we're going to backtrack that we're going to make this a two-branch type of class where half the class is going to be, you know, basic sentence structure, basic paragraph structure, and a newfound emphasis on simple sentences. And then on the other fork, kind of get through the, the, the big things of uh, essay organization, which also they had uh, a hard time with. And it, you just make it very, very simple, break it down into almost like a formula, fill in the blank. Okay, this is what a five-paragraph uh, essay looks like. And this is, you, know, you put your topic sentence here and have them work from that. And yeah, not at all what I had planned on doing, but... Again, by the end of the year, we had that very specific goal. You really had to uh, rethink and make lots of compromises in what you wanted to accomplish mm. and certainly how you were going to do it. Okay. That's interesting. Um, I want to go back to what you were saying about trying to figure out what goes wrong. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. one of the hard things really to figure out. Oh, Yeah. And I usually find that my mistake is that I've misread the level of the class in general. Uh-huh. And that that's usually the easiest thing to fix is the first question should be, I think, approaching it, have I matched the student's level? And I'd add that that is the biggest problem with most of the syllabi that I've written. That don't work because I go in on the first day and it's like, okay, this syllabi is way over. And I've seen that happen all the time, especially also in coordinated programs where you're given a syllabi that are just starting up. New programs will often shoot too high, aim too oh, high. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. So that's one thing. But Wishful thinking. Right? right. So when going into a class and realizing after one class or two classes that the syllabi is not working, immediately ask yourself – am I measuring the student's ability and give a quick diagnostic in that situation? Because that I think you have to rule out right away. Yeah. Right. And uh, to underscore what you said about being about the difficulty of it, it is, it's extremely difficult and you get a situation that's like, well, with the level, a lot of times you can't even 
determine whether or not it's which which direction which side of the hump you're on it, you might think that it's they're not getting it and that it's too difficult for them mm-hmm. the opposite might also be true it's not that easy sometimes to tell you might just be boring the hell out of them cuz i've made that mistake mm, exactly but a lot of the time what you think you're boring them is because they don't understand you or they don't understand the material. And I mean, I've sat in meetings that have just gotten so intense with the Japanese, it's way over my head that I understand how my students feel. You just mm. check out. Mm. And then somebody turns to you and, you know, uses your name and that dread, <laughs> and then the dreaded ka at the end of the sentence. And for those people who don't speak Japanese, the marker for a question in Japanese is you say any sentence and then you add ka at the end. And that means a question. So anytime I hear whiz, blah, 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 ka, it's like, uh-oh. I should have been paying more attention. And I think I'm just doing a good imitation of one of my students. Mm. So I think that's a really important thing to do when trying to evaluate, is the syllabus working or not? And one of the best things I will do, I think one of the best assessments I'll do is uh, Paul Nation, who's a vocabulary specialist for people not familiar with him, came up with a 54 item test. It's multiple choice with, um, I think, six items. And it takes about 20 minutes to give to your students. And that'll basically tell you how much, how many of the first 2,000 words a student knows. And if you get numbers that are in a certain range, it allows you to know whether or not students are understanding you, whether you've shot too high or you've shot too low, so to speak. So when the syllabus isn't working have come up with some kind of diagnostic to rule out the level problem. Once you rule out the level problem, I think you're really correct, Tony, in saying that you're just not getting them where it interests them. You're not tickling them. And then you have to figure out what they're interested in, which sometimes can also be pretty difficult. And I'm will ask them what they read. I'll ask them to get into groups and tell me what are their favorite movies, what are their favorite TV shows, what kind of music do they listen to. And then try to generate something from that. But throw the syllabus away if it's not working. And that's, in, again, underscores the importance of making a general syllabus when you submit it. That's, what did you call it? Squishy? <laughs> a lot of squish. Yeah, yeah, yeah I call squishy. it, okay, gooey. Gooey. Yeah, squishy okay. or gooey so you have flexibility. But the other thing, Tony, that I'd like to add, though, there's one thing I never change from the submitted syllabus, and that's my uh, grading criteria. Yeah, 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 that's what you said. I will not change that because that um, is, I think, has to – it's just not fair. For the one student who reads the syllabus and decides to take your class, let's say because they – sometimes I'll have a very high participation score, maybe up to 25%, let's say. And let's say I have a student who thinks, you know – I'm not that good in English, but I always try and participate. This is the best class for me. And then I decide to change the scoring. It's not fair. How do you feel about that? Uh, okay. Now, I think maybe the, uh, this is maybe the first time I really understand what you mean when you said that before. Um, you mean actually in terms of like the balance of things that are going to be continued? Right. Uh, in other words, grade. what are ah, – yeah, uh, What I percentages don't... for grading? I'd never yeah, change I've, those. Yeah. I've, no, no. I don't change that. I don't yeah. change. It. I mean, I'll, I'll, as we talked about last week, I'll curve all over the place. I mean, there's not there's not a straight line on any of my <laughs> spreadsheets. I mean, they're just curved to hell. They're all over the place. But in terms of the balance of uh, what what we're looking at in terms of uh, 
participation or the paper or the test or so forth. No, I don't. I don't change that at all. Okay, so we're both in agreement there. Yeah. So everything's yeah. up in the air, I think, except for that. I mean, for example, if I say that attendance is not required, is or I don't include attendance as part of my grading, then I don't think mm. it's fair to change that to attendance. No, later yeah, on. you can't. No, you can't change the rules like that in the middle yeah. of the game. Yeah, right. Exactly. No, I agree with you there. Sure. So that's. I want to just be clear about that. I'll throw everything out except for that. Mm. And um, I'll change the goals or the objectives of the course if they're not achievable. Or mm. if um, this happened actually one time where the student's ability was way over the, how I say, over the syllabus, the goals and objectives mm. were mm. easily achievable by the students on the first day. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I just had one of those days where, or one of those classes where a lot of very vocal and uh, knowledgeable students came in to a class and it's like, okay, this class is going to underwhelm you in terms of what the goals end are. And then that's when I actually did a negotiated syllabus I said, okay, what do you guys want to accomplish? What are your goals? Yeah. What yeah. That's objectives? great opportunity. Yeah. That's, exactly. that's the wonderful thing, but that's usually not the case. It's usually the other way around is that the goals and objectives have to be modified because I've overshot. Yeah, you are overshot, or very often the institution is overshot. That ex- you know, the, the, that evaluation becomes externally, often from people who don't have a lot of experience teaching um, lower level kids, right? Sadly, mm. yeah. Uh, but yeah, and the other th- reason I want that I I haven't spoken about, and I think about this often, is that one of the major reasons to change your syllabus is not even if you've ruled out ability, but it's motivation. Mm-hmm. And if you get a really motivated group of students and your syllabus is not going to challenge them, toss it out and create something with them, work with them in that level. And if you have a group of unmotivated students, and this does happen because they're not English majors and it's a required class, and let's say they haven't been successful and they haven't had very pleasant experiences in the past, readjust the goals and objectives to... Um, my students will have positive experiences teaching English. So I think that's not a bad way to go. But I think... Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, yeah, I'll underscore that, I think, and, and maybe repeat it for the... Especially for, like, uh, uh, less experienced teachers. Yeah, you can do that. Right. Do that. And don't... Something as vague as that. Yeah, you can you can do that. And if you're worried about it, take notes. Again, that we've talked about the importance yeah, of just right. taking notes. That'd be a notes perfect say, example of importance of that right. to document what you're doing. Yeah, just document and take a note and just say, tried to teach something in the class today. It didn't work. Uh, assess the student's ability. Realize that the goals and objectives of the course are not um, you know, agreeing with the level of the students. I have to redo the syllabus. And then if anybody ever says, why didn't you follow the syllabus? You've got your documentation. The other thing, too, is that at some point in time, we have to talk about the relationship of lesson plans to uh-huh. the syllabus. But I don't think uh. today is really the time to do that. Yeah, I think maybe no, no. Because no, lesson plans are – I have a real strange approach to lesson plans and lesson oh, planning. That sounds interesting. But I know we've talked about that before, that we yeah, both, I think, yeah. approach it as a toolkit, uh. right? What tools do we have to pull up? But we'll talk about lesson planning a little bit later, probably near the beginning of the semester. Yeah, I think that That would be a really good time to do that. But I think – the major takeaways here is that be flexible, write a syllabus that gives you wiggle room, be willing to revise it, be willing to toss it out, be willing to update it, 
realize that things like grading criteria should not really be changed once you've submitted that, but that the schedule of the classes can be changed or should be changed depending on your students' needs, document it, be flexible. And I am the point you made, which is when you're assessing if the syllabus is working, try to really work hard and figure out how to do that. Yeah, don't just assume you know what's wrong. I really or don't assume right, but you know what's right. Exactly. And you know, the other thing, Ask the kids. Mm. There, I mean, there are great resources we don't, you know, often don't think about. But you'd be surprised that, um, you know, we always complain about, you know, students being unmotivated. They don't care this or that. Yeah, you might be surprised. Um, a lot of them are uh, maybe just kind of waiting for a chance to engage, and um, you maybe ask them what it takes. Right? Now, the student input is really can be helpful in a situation like this. If they Hey, is this too hard? Is this too easy? Like, you'd be surprised sometimes. Yes, yes. And as I said, mentioned before, what I do in quizzes is question, if it's a 10-question quiz, question 11 is an information quiz. Excellent. Or a question, yeah. right? Very in other words, point. again, is was this lesson easy, difficult, or okay? Those yeah. little kinds of questions tacked onto a quiz, or even if the students are submitting homework, have them just write something at the bottom from the first day, second day, third day. It's really helpful. Very, very And good. do that and you'll get a lot of feedback. Because if you ask students, how's the syllabus? You know, we're going to get into the old thing where nobody raises their hands. And uh, so. Sure. Yeah. So, okay. So I think we've covered. One, one more, one more takeaway, oh. especially for this, this time of the year, very important. Okay. Because um, we. At the beginning, we joked about how, well, of course, when we have to submit our syllabi, which we're doing now, um, we just copy and paste from last year for the syllabus that is submitted. Um, in contrast, I mean, at the end of the year right now, and you know, we've got 100 things on our, our mind, um, <laughs> chief among them getting the hell out of here, <laughs> getting on vacation, um, but... Uh, Talking about the real syllabus, I mean, what we actually mm. do, what we do in class and things, there's really a good time for a little a little reflection, a little self-reflection. It's like, okay, um, this last year, what worked and what didn't? And what can I learn? What mistakes did I make? Which ones do I hope I can avoid <laughs> next year? Uh, and maybe some of that can get taken care of, like up front when you're doing the class planning, when you're making the syllabus for the class, your, your internal syllabus, your your real plan for what you're going to do is like, how can you, how can you avoid some of the pitfalls that you fell into the previous year? How can you um, maybe expand on something that you did right? Uh, good time of the year to do that in, in your spare time. Yeah. And again, this goes back. I like what you said about the internal syllabus, mm -hmm. but every activity is a self-reflection activity. But yeah. I think you're right that at the end of the year or semester, the grading and writing the syllabi are really good opportunities to look at what I've done and look at the goals. But that's really where I focus is with goals, objectives, the grading methodology, and did the course go the way I wanted it to go? And how could changing or altering the syllabus allow me to improve the class or help the class to be better, more fine-tuned? But I think those are good points, Tony. And I think we've covered most of it that we need to cover about syllabus. What do you think? Syllabus is syllabi? Okay. I think we covered it. All right. I think actually I have to go write my syllabi today. 
I, I got a, one due this week. Yeah, I have a bunch due. And at one of my schools, they've just changed the uploading system again. <laughs> just after I got used to figuring out the system, they've changed it again. Okay, so thanks for listening, everybody. This is Two Teachers Talking. I'm Charles Wiz. Yeah, Tony Silva. And we can be reached at two teachers talking at gmail.com. The website, or no, sorry, right, gmail.com and our website. Uh, our website is two teachers talking.com. Our email is uh, two teachers talking at gmail. Did I get that wrong? I th- you might have left out the Gmail. I think so. It's. I think people can figure it out, though. Pretty much wherever you're at, just two teachers talking. Right. You could even do a Google search, and we will come up. And uh, we're on iTunes. Yeah, the two teachers talking, whether you're on the web, whether you're uh, doing the sending mail, it's at gmail.com, and then also on iTunes, same thing, two teachers talking in those spaces. They'll they'll get you there. Okay. All right, so I'm going to go write a syllabus. One, I think. I will, I will. And you're, okay. I think, working all day, too. So thanks, Tony, and we'll talk to you soon. Oh, yeah. Very good. Alrighty. Okay, bye.